South Asian woman, I find that they've suffered so much. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there's a lot in of, silence. Yeah, yeah. In silence. Exactly. I was gonna say there's a lot of hidden depression. You're listening to the Experience Sikhi podcast, a deeper look into the Sikh identity. We present to you open, honest, and inspiring stories. No armor, pretense, or sugarcoating. Welcome to the Experience Sikhi podcast. I'm Kalunda Singh. And I'm Prabhjot Kaur. We will begin this podcast by acknowledging that we are meeting on Aboriginal land that has been inhabited by the Indigenous people from the beginning. As settlers, we're grateful for the opportunity to meet here and we thank all the generations of people that have taken care of this land for thousands of years. In particular, we acknowledge that the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek and Huron-Wendat. Also, just some reminders. If you guys like the podcast, please remember to comment, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can also send us questions and feedback at podcastics at experienceakey.com. Also, we just want to reiterate that we are not mental health experts. We're not professionals and we're not Sikhi experts. They're just our personal opinions and we're learning just as you guys are. Um, we hopefully can ask questions that you guys might have and all learn together. Uh, that's essentially what the purpose and goal of this podcast. So with us today is Simrit Kaur. She's a psychologist and a new mom to a baby boy. She has an interest in social psychology, which is how people present and live in the world and how the world influences them. She studied her bachelor's degree at York University and her master's at the University of Toronto. She continued her doctorate um, in clinical psychology at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology at Irvine in California. In this podcast, we'll talk to her about her experiences as a psychologist with a focus on the importance of understanding mental health, how culture affects one's views, and the stigma attached to mental health and therapy, particularly in the South Asian and Punjabi communities. So here's Simrit Kaur. All right. Welcome, Benji, to the Experience Sikhi podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today. We really wanted to get you on the podcast because you have a lot of experience in this um, mental health field. And we thought that would be beneficial for our listeners to hear what it's like for you every day and how they can benefit from the practices that you do. Um, first question, how are you doing today? Good. Good, good morning, guys. <laughs> good morning. Um, so we're just going to start off uh, just by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself, right? Your childhood, your family, your upbringing, and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, So let's go straight to the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Born in Edmonton, moved to Ontario when I was three years old. I lived in London, Ontario until I was about 15. Um, No, just right after I turned 16. Then I moved to Mississauga, and I've been in the GTA since. Um, Family life, I have an older brother, I have an older sister my parents who are kind of my role models and my guiders and everything that I do. Um, so when it comes to Sikhi specifically, uh, my parents really got into Sikhi when I was about three, four years old, maybe five years old. Um, they took Amrit and it became such an integral part of our household. Um, and so ever since then, Sikhi's been a huge part of my life. I've been wearing a Dastar since I was about six. Uh, I took Amrit when I was 11, but Sikhi's just been, you know, integral in our household so when I think of my childhood when I think of my upbringing that's a huge component to it, component of it. 
Did you ever have like um, Sikhis like all roller coasters? Oh, and for I, sure. Yeah, and I grew up in a similar family, like where we grew up Amritari family. But I found that I had a lot of like ups and downs with my relationship with Guru Sahib. Did you mm-hmm. experience some of that as well? Absolutely, absolutely. So when we first got into Sikhi, there was a specific camp that we used to go to, and that's what really brought us into Sikhi. Um, and there was a period of time where that camp, for various reasons, ended. Um, and a lot of people's relationship was was the key changed at that point mm-hmm. because of you know how it was ingrained in us, I guess you could say. But I was very lucky in that Sikhi for me wasn't only a camp, it was also in my household. Right. And so my parents came to a place of Sikhi with Biad and they came to a place of Sikhi where it was just a lifestyle for us. It wasn't wrong or right, it was, it was just how we were. Right. Um, growing up in London was difficult. Right. Uh, so I was the only, you know, Geski, Valikuri in all of my schools that I went to. Um, my family was probably one of the only Amritari families in all of London at that time. So I think, Maybe grade nine and ten, I really hit kind of. We were talking about the ups and downs of Sikhi, right? Mm-hmm. And I think my parents were able to kind of see that happen. Right. Um, so this was post camp. This was after that camp ended, and so Sangat started becoming a lot more distant because we didn't have that. Right. And so I think that's one of the big reasons they decided to move here, and then came here and got back into Sangat. And so it's kind of been a little bit more stable since then. But definitely grade nine and ten, there was kind of that that wavering of uncertainty right. the pressures of high school for yeah. sure yeah and with that like uh talking about your professional journey when did it when did you decide that you wanted to go into psychology um probably early on so it was always between teacher or psychologist or mm-hmm. going into psychology i've always had a huge interest in psychology and for me specifically um, a big interest in social psychology. So I'm interested in how people present in the world and how they live in the world that's around them and how the world influences them. So social psychology is kind of my niche and what I'm really interested in. Um, so it's either teacher or psychologist. So I went to university, I think first or second year, I was a TA. Um, I did not like it. <laughs> so that took out teaching. Oh, wow. And what so, didn't you like about it? I don't know. So I did it at a high school. Okay. Um, and I just didn't like oh, it. Okay. <laughs> I just, it wasn't for me. Okay. And it wasn't something I could see myself doing like on a day to day basis. Yeah. So that kind of took out the teaching. And by then, I'd already started my psychology degree. And um, so I just kind of went from there. Oh, yeah. Awesome. And so where did you go to school after? So I did my undergraduate degree at York University. I did my master's at University of Toronto. And then I took about two years off. I thought I was done after my master's. I took about two years off. Mm -hmm. Um, And just kind of talking about my professional journey, I moved to this really remote town in northern British Columbia uh, called Burns Lake. So it was like closer to Alaska than to Vancouver, just to give it some perspective. Like it was really, really... How long is the flight? From here, you'd have to fly to Vancouver, then you'd have to fly from Vancouver to Prince George, and then you'd have to drive two and a half hours west. So oh, wow. it, was, it was far. It was in the boonies. Okay. Um, Definition of remote. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it was very, very far. Um, and it was a very small town, so it had a population of 5,000 um, people, and there was five Aboriginal reservations that were surrounding the town. Oh, cool. So I went there after my master's to work. I was there for about 14 months. Um, and when I was there, there was this feeling of I haven't done enough in terms of my academics like there I need to do a little bit more and I think the fact that I was working with such a challenging population kind of really hit that home kind of I need a little bit more training I need need a little bit more skills to be working with this aboriginal community because we know you know there's a lot of stigmatization when it comes to mental health there's a lot of issues a lot of trauma um so after that I went to California and then I did my doctorate degree in California and then I came back here 
Okay. What, what was your uh, like a doctor degree in like? So it was like, clinical psychology. Clinical psychology. Yeah, yeah. And then I chose California because it was sunny. <laughs> so in <laughs> Burns choice. Lake, yeah, it did. I did not see the sun for over a month and a half in Burns Lake, and so I was like, I need some sun. <laughs> How is it worse here or worse there in terms of like snow? Oh, oh, a thousand times worse there. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. They had to cancel Halloween one year because it snowed so much. Wow. Yeah. Cancel Halloween. I know. Poor How do you kids, cancel right? Halloween? <laughs> the kids are terrified. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned the word psychology. Psychology. Could you explain to the listeners the difference between the different kinds of practices? Like I've heard psychiatrist, psychology, psychotherapy. But yeah. What is the difference? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So a psychiatrist is an MD, is a medical doctor. So they go through med school, the traditional med school, um, and they prescribe medication. And so a psychologist, um, a master's level therapist, nobody else can prescribe medication. That comes solely from a psychiatrist. Okay. A lot of psychiatrists are just medication management. So you go, they give you medication, you go in for your checkup, you know, how are you feeling, and they adjust your medication accordingly. Um, some psychiatrists also include therapy into their sessions, okay. um, but not always. So it could be a very quick in and out sort of appointment. Okay. A psychologist is somebody who's trained in the assessment um, and therapy part of psychology so I'm a psychologist okay. um, so I don't prescribe medication but I do assessments and I have my clinical background so I'm able to through therapy work through the process of you know working through whatever mental health illness or whatever the issue is that people come to me with so that's a psychologist so we don't prescribe medication we're not covered by OHIP unfortunately mm-hmm. psychiatrists are that's okay. a huge factor when it comes to people getting treatment right a psychotherapist is a master's level therapist. Um, psychotherapy is a form of therapy that everybody does. And so a psychologist, a psychiatrist, is um, a master's level therapist, so a psychotherapist, everybody does what's called psychotherapy. And so that's just therapy right. of the psyche. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what is your practice like these days? I know right now you're on map leave, right? I am, yes. Okay, so before that, like, what is your practice like? Are you working in a doctor's office? Or? So I'm working in two places. So um, I'm an associate in one practice in Brampton. Um, so that's a private practice, and it's a holistic approach. So it's called Triloka Psychology. And so it takes a mind, body, soul, um, I don't know what I'm mind body soul avenue kind of the avenue area. towards right. mental health so we have psychologists on staff we have a naturopathic doctor we have um a chiropractor we have a re- registered massage therapist we oh. have a himalayan salt cave yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm a registered massage oh, therapist nice. <laughs> okay um and so it takes a very very holistic approach to psychology so we don't want to just work on the mind but we also want people to be well physically we want mm-hmm. people to be well you know internally through naturopathic care um so that's a private practice that i work with okay I'm an associate there, and then I also work at another practice um, in Etobicoke that focuses more on motor vehicle accidents. And so people who have been in accidents, and then um, based on that, they kind of need a little bit of help, and so their insurance will usually cover it, and they'll come to therapy. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So we're just going to jump right into the breadth of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so in your experience, why is it important for people to be educated about mental health? Because it's who we are. Right. And so a lot of times when we talk about mental health, we talk about mental illness. And in my practice and in my way of viewing psychology, I think a lot about mental wellness. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing. Right. But psychology and mental health, it's who we are. And so if we're not feeling healthy, if we're not feeling well, if there's something that feels a little bit off, it's important to be aware of that. It's important to be in tune with that, not only with ourselves, but with the people around us as well. 
right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so based on that, uh, just as you mentioned, um, how it affects people around us. What are the, uh, what's the impact of negative attitudes and beliefs about mental health and how that affects the person who's going through that? Yeah, um, so we're talking about mental health being stigmatized, right? Yeah. And so it's kind of the idea that if you're, there's, if you're depressed, if you're anxious, that there's something going on, there's something wrong with you, air quotes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that can be very stigmatizing. That can be very lonely for somebody. So somebody who's already, for usually reasons that they don't even know why, they're experiencing these hardships and suddenly there's people who don't understand them or people who can't be empathetic to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so important for us to know that and that negative stigma that gets attached with that just i think makes it more lonely makes it more isolating makes it more difficult for a lot of people who really need that compassion or they need that empathy at that time and so in in your experience have you seen cases where the person actually hasn't even been diagnosed and they feel that exclusion happening around their social circles even before they've been uh, diagnosed yeah absolutely absolutely yeah so that has a terrible effect on someone who's like why am i even going through this right even before they're diagnosed yeah mm-hmm. it goes back to like what's wrong with me exactly yeah exactly yeah. it's yeah. like such a sad question to ask yourself like, mm-hmm. what's wrong with me mm-hmm. you mentioned uh the words mental health what is the difference between mental health and mental um illness i've been trying to like understand that and yeah so okay so the way that i look at it when we think about diagnoses right when we're thinking about somebody being diagnosed with depression or diagnosed with bipolar or diagnosed with anything with anxiety we're looking at a clinical diagnosis right and so like we have our our dsm-5 and to be diagnosed with a disorder you it's it has to be impacting your life it has to be impacting your functional ability so your ability to function in school your function ability to function at work or socially to function as well as the other criteria you're not sleeping you're not eating you're crying suicidal thoughts depending what the disorder is right so I view that as mental illness but there's a lot of times where we're not clinically feeling that intensely depressed or anxious or Mm -hmm. whatever the word is but we're not feeling good and that's what mental wellness is to me so it's the idea that we kind of have the blues or we're kind of feeling right. a little bit anxious or we get a little bit of those flutters in certain situations so we're not at our optimal self so we're not clinically in a place where we need to be diagnosed but we're not feeling optimal right. and so to me mental wellness is to help people feel optimal when they're not kind of in that clinical situation gotcha and uh we wanted to focus a lot on this podcast about the punjabi community south asian community so with racial and ethnic minorities how does their how does their culture play a role in how they deal with mental health um i think so i know like we want to focus on south asians but i think that this can work kind of across the board with a lot of different um minorities and so when i was in california i worked a lot with a latino community Mm. um obviously when i was in burns lake i worked a lot with aboriginal community um and so the way that we view our culture, the way that our culture views mental health, it's it has a huge impact in how people feel, right? And so it's kind of, if it's not accepted, then how are people able to get the help that they need? And so in a lot of these communities, and I notice a big um, 
I noticed huge similarities between the Latino community and the Sikhi community, um, surprising, or the Punjabi community. Yeah, yeah. Really? Uh, yeah, it, like surprisingly when yeah. I was in California. And I didn't realize that before, but having worked so closely with them. But it's this idea of, you know, you're stronger than that. Just, you know, suck it up. It's nothing to be, right. uh, you know, why are you crying? You shouldn't be upset about this. You have everything. Yeah. You know, you have a house, you have food, which send you to school. You yeah. have everything. Yeah. Um, so why are you sad? Why are you anxious? Why are you scared? Why are you this? Right. And those wise questions can be very very stigmatizing right yeah I actually just this week it was like I guess perfect timing to do this podcast because mm-hmm. I have a family member who's right now in this like ward at Brampton Civic Hospital and she is a close family member of mine and she has schizophrenia and depression from after she got divorced many years ago and uh she was like you know when you go to meet somebody when they're not well like the like cover land on there right mm-hmm. so when you go they tell you what happened whether it's for a death or somebody's hurt or whatever right um she was saying that she was having suicidal thoughts which is what led my family to um admit her to the hospital mm-hmm. and she was like this time she actually had like plans of how she was going to commit suicide she said that she's going to commit suicide many times in her life but Mm -hmm. this time she had like plans that's what scared them the most and when she was explaining why um like uh, why she was having those thoughts my family members were all like to her why do you feel this way like you have everything going for you you have a family you have food on the table you have a house and for her it's she has children that she doesn't speak to she was divorced many years ago and but my family just kept trying to tell her to see the positive and like you you live with family members who love you and you know you have clothes and you have food and like you have everything that you could possibly want and when she was saying that stuff my initial reaction I didn't get to say it but my initial reaction was to say like she was like I've been through a very hard life and I wanted to say to her you have been through a very hard life like I understand that you like why you feel this way but my family was like why is your life hard your life is not hard and so I was like oh my god I think there's the stigma Mm -hmm. our parents have it our like our own close family members have it and they don't even know that they have the stigma for sure for sure and I think it's because for a lot of people they're just in survival mode and so they don't get a chance to take a step back and really kind of process what they're feeling or what they're going through and so when other people are kind of saying you know this is what I'm feeling this is what I'm going through it's like why yeah. You know right. why? Like just keep moving. Keep yeah. keep doing what you got to do. Like you're okay just keep moving. But yeah. Yeah. Or like uh they'll keep telling her like um we'll bring you a good kasai do pot do pot and I understand their reasoning behind it and I do think that that will help her. It's just she kept saying like genie got the like I don't feel like it. I don't feel like, like it. And they were like why not? Like mm-hmm. they just didn't understand. Mm-hmm. I feel their intentions are in the right place yeah. but they just don't know how to 100% uh, kind of go about it. Um and also another thing I feel uh, happens is the people who are saying these things sometimes they feel in the same state but they have been told that they you just need to keep going as you just said you have to keep going keep going mm-hmm. and so they've applied that to their life and they feel that that has kind of fixed the situation but it's just a band-aid yeah. and so they feel that it might help with the other person as well right exactly um so just we actually had a member um sorry a guest on our uh, podcast earlier and they were just mentioning how um, they went to a couple of therapists, mm-hmm. but they weren't able to find someone who connected or understood the Sikhi aspect of their, uh, their, uh, within their therapy, right? So mm-hmm. she would mention how she was like, a Kiran Jyotkar. Shameless plug, go listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so she was mentioning how, uh, she, she was talking to her therapist about doing her nithanim and she's like, well, my nithanim has fallen. And the therapist said, well, God's not going to hate you if you don't do your nithanim, right? And 
she wanted to explain to the therapist that no, it's not about Nithinim's not about uh, God hating me. It's about me doing it for myself. It's mm-hmm. more less about God. It's more about me, right? It's for me. Mm-hmm. And so, what would you recommend in terms of how they can find a therapist or um, who understands their faith and culture? How how would they go about doing that? Or is there any resources? Yeah. yeah, so that's a difficult question just because therapy, it's a personal relationship, right? And so we're sitting there with our clients and a lot of times it's a one-on-one relationship. And just like in our lives, we mesh better, we vibe better with some people than we do with other people, right? Yeah. And so ideally in that situation, like if we're, if we're using that example, what response you would want from a therapist is, you know, someone saying, you know, I can't do my name, it's not making me feel good, would be tell me more about that. Right. Help me understand what that means to you and why that's important important to you and then that really starts a conversation right and so when you're looking for therapy the best case scenario is the first person you start talking to they it it vibes and you're doing good with them right and you're able to do it but there's no harm if you start and you're not feeling completely comfortable to switch and to try somebody else right give it you know a session or two like don't just quit right away because sometimes (laughs) it takes a little bit of time but you need somebody who when you talk to them they try to understand so if they don't understand like i don't know a whole bunch of experiences that my clients have had because you know i'm one person living one life right So I can't really know what everybody else is going through, but I can understand it. I can Mm -hmm. ask them about it. I can get them to explain to me and I ask questions, you know, and that's okay. Right. That's okay. You're just going, digging a little deeper, like you're not going to be able to understand thousand different cultures, but understanding um, what it means to them. Exactly. um, Yeah. Yeah. And how come it's so important to them. Right. Yeah. I think that's what happened with Kiran Jodhkaur is that she said that she felt really bad about not doing her nithinim and the reaction of the therapist was, well, is God going to be upset with you if you don't do your nithinim? And that kind of turned her off mm-hmm. and then it kind of like ended the therapy for her. Okay. But even with massage therapy, we say the same thing that finding a massage therapist, finding a therapist mm-hmm. uh, is like dating. Like you yeah. go and you try different things yeah, and yeah, yeah. It just because one relationship doesn't work doesn't mean you're going to stay single for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. You just yeah. get back out there and yeah. find somebody else. But that can also be very discouraging, right? So in therapy in the beginning, what we do is we need to know people's backstory. We need to know right. why people are coming to see us. And if you're keep repeatedly telling your story again and again, but you don't feel like you're getting any help, that can be very discouraging yeah, as well. Yeah. And so it's okay as a client to ask questions, right? Mm. And to kind of, you know, if you have any concerns about the therapist or if you're worried about you know what you know background they're coming from in terms of their theory or how they're going to approach different situations it's okay to ask those questions because like dating yeah it, you want to know a little bit about this person yeah um and what their approach is into helping you yeah so, so actually that brings up a good point like i know it would be biased in terms of like how you feel about um or not feel but like your experience in therapy but mm-hmm. what type of questions do you feel that the client should ask for our listeners to be able to understand like am i getting into the right uh therapy for themselves yeah so you want to know um you know what kind of approach does the therapist have and you don't even it doesn't even have to be technical like you sure. don't need to know like are they doing cognitive behavioral therapy are they doing mindfulness but you know how structured are they so are you going to be able to sit there and actually have a discussion a lot of therapy is you know a lot of paperwork so when you talk about cognitive behavioral therapy it's a lot of paperwork some people hate that yeah you know they don't want homework they don't want to have to fill out charts they don't want to have to you know constantly be filling things out yeah 
Um, and so you want to know that whoever you're working with works with you. Some people love that. They need that structure and yeah, they yeah. need their books and they need their pens <laughs> and paper. Right. right. And so, yeah. Most people that I work with, like a combination of yeah, the two. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. um, but like, so you want to know about their approach and you also kind of want to go with your instinct as well. Right. Yeah. And so if you're talking to somebody, do they make you feel comfortable? Do you yeah. feel safe? Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the biggest thing is, do you feel safe? talking to them and yeah sorry i'm just gonna jump in yeah. I, I wanted to uh kind of go into detail as well we mentioned being a bit more technical um and i love the technical aspect of it or just learning more in general um and so you mentioned um mindfulness and mm-hmm. what are the different therapies if you can just go into a little bit of detail of like the different therapies yeah so the most common therapy that you'll probably hear about is called cognitive behavioral therapy okay. um so it's the idea that how we think our cognition impacts how we behave and how we feel right and so for thinking negatively not on purpose it's just happening then we're going to feel really bad and we're going to behave accordingly mm-hmm. um and so with cbt what our goal is it's two twofold so one is to help people reframe their thoughts and so it's kind of like your family members with um with your family member we're saying the one who's in the hospital we're saying right. you know kind of like why are you feeling so bad think about the positive do this do that there's an approach and there's a way that we teach our clients to reframe it so gotcha. they can go from negative to positive mm-hmm. and it takes work it's not easy because we're literally retraining the way you think right. Um, and then the second aspect is the behavioral part. And so we want people to start doing more than what they're doing. So a lot of times when people are depressed, they won't do things that are important to them. Like, for instance, the nickname or doing any thought, right? But even beyond that, some people won't shower. Some people won't um, brush their teeth. They don't get out of bed if it's very extreme. Other people just aren't doing things that they enjoy, right? Mm-hmm. Going back to the mental wellness part of all of this. Right. And so with CBT, we encourage the in reframing the thoughts, but also how to change your behaviors. Um, so that's CBT. So CBT is big in my practice and mindfulness. I'm really big on mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we live in a world where we're not as mindful um, as we probably yeah. should be. Yeah. Um, and so with mindfulness training, it's how to be present, mm-hmm. how to be present in your day-to-day life, how to be present in how you feel, being present in your body, being present in your environment, being present with the people around you. And I think that aspect of being more present kind of makes people more aware it increases self-awareness as well um so cbt mindfulness are the two big ones that i work with there's a bunch of other ones i don't know if we want to get into all of them but yeah maybe we can discuss resources at the end yeah absolutely yeah or we can post them in the notes or whatever yeah Yeah. and it also depends sorry i should just add it should also it also depends on what the diagnosis is that you're coming with so for example people who are borderline we work with dbt so our our approaches have to change depending on what the issues are that we're working with so it's not one thing works for all yeah and right before you came we were going over the notes and we were talking about in gurbani how it talks about um there's a different point on that like some talk about like when you speak to your mind speak to your mind with love and there's some that talk about you know you got to put your mind like you kind of have to be strict with your mind and like you know be like you know what mind you can't think this way and i think cbt is an excellent way to uh, reframe the thoughts like you can't it's very hard for somebody who's not mentally healthy to be like okay i feel stressed don't feel stressed like they can't just be yeah. like don't feel stressed don't feel anxious cbt would give them the tools to be able to change their thoughts so that they are able to 
speak to their mind with love when they need to mm-hmm. and be strict with their mind when they need to like absolutely that was such an amazing connection yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. when you said that i was like whoa i actually um even before the show as well uh we were just discussing this and i was reading this book i'm forgetting the name right now we'll post it in the show notes but um it was talking about how um our habits are trained. So we have a trigger, we have a routine, and then we have a reward. Um, and so they were talking about how our brain and our mind are two, or this is what the, I'm not <laughs> sure if it was like, uh, uh, what was the word? Um, like actually accepted within the psychological community mm-hmm, in terms mm-hmm. of the practice, but um, they were talking about how the mind and the brain are two separate things and how certain times the brain sends a signal and the mind has to interpret it if it's a good signal or a bad signal. So I'm not sure if that is kind of how it works, but Mm -hmm. it was just mentioning how if you can reframe and understand and be mindful, understanding those brain signals and actually saying, do I act upon it or not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of times when we're talking about brain signals, if we're talking about the physiological aspect of mental health, right? Yeah. And so a lot of times it's not even just about, you know, circumstances or quote unquote our mind, but it's about what's physically happening to us, biologically what's happening to us. It's about our neurotransmitters. And that's kind of where, I don't know, I'm kind of getting on a tangent right now. Yeah, no, I love it too. Yeah, let's go into this. That's like where uh, medication comes when it comes to treatment of psychology right right? and so because the medication actually will help with that specific you know with what's going on with the brain chemistry and that's something that people don't have control over unfortunately Um, and so then it's a matter of do I take medication do I not take medication which is a conversation totally on its own right but that's where medication can be incredibly helpful Um, but medication is also very stigmatized in our community and in many communities I'd say in almost all communities Mm -hmm. it's kind of you're taking antidepressants or you're on anti-anxiety medication why are you taking medication right just smile yeah, 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 just <laughs> no. Even like uh, our uh, another guest, they had mentioned that they, they didn't want to take medication, and that was mm-hmm. their personal choice, and that's that's amazing. But it's like understanding though or the reasons why and why not to and, and yeah yeah although i will say there are some um disorders where medication actually is almost a necessity mm-hmm. um so schizophrenia is one of them right. bipolar is also one of them and so therapy can only do so schizophrenia therapy it's all about medication management and right. kind of building routine depending on the severity of it right, right. but medication for some disorders is it's very it's key Fair point. it's yeah. key yeah yeah I I think what led us to that discussion we were having earlier about the one you were talking about in your book is we were saying, like, I I had heard one time that, I think I maybe have heard it on a mental health podcast where they were like, um, people always say to you, it's in your head, it's in your head, it's in your head. And they were like, but what's in your head? Your brain. And so you, like, they say it's in your head as if you have control over it. But like you said, you don't have control over how your hormone levels are in your brain. Mm -hmm. So that's where medication is useful exactly exactly and the analogy i always use with clients who um could probably benefit from medication but are unsure is you know if you have high blood pressure do you take medication for that when we have high cholesterol you know our community like we don't have like they're all on that (laughs) there's no but that's it's a physiological aspect of it and so the medication helps in the same way yeah right 
like our parents don't give us any problems if like if we're sick like I think our generation is a little bit more hesitant to go to the doctor what's the doctor going to do the doctor's what doctor's going to give me Advil the doctor's going to give mm-hmm. me Tylenol yeah. mm-hmm. our parents are like go to the doctor like yeah. they're, so they're so into the doctor when it comes to physical well-being that's actually so interesting yeah but with mental well-being I guess there's that stigma mm-hmm. yeah that, that's very interesting to bring that up they, they are very huge on that they feel that um, even like my Naniji and Madadiji, it's more about just go to the doctor and get a device. Even if it's a placebo, yeah. they feel like, oh, I got one. And yeah. so they feel better, <laughs> yeah. right? And I, I'm sure that actually has an effect, but yeah. it's just interesting how they that culture exists, right? Mm-hmm, for um, sure. But yeah. Um, we wanted to go into, so before we did the podcast, we did some research and mm-hmm. we'll post the articles that we researched um, in the show notes. But uh, these articles are specifically about South Asian communities. One of them is speci- specifically about the Punjabi Sikh community. And uh, we wanted to talk with you about your practice and some of the findings that we found in these articles. So this podcast is a little bit different than the ones we normally do because those are usually uh, personal journeys mm-hmm. of uh, people's uh, mental health. But this is more about the South Asian community and your uh, professional field. Um, so one of the things that the podcast, um, not the podcast, the article discussed was um, that the South Asian community doesn't value people who have mental health issues. So in the in the study, it found that they referred to people with mental health problems as bagel, which is I think direct translation of stupid, right? What does bagel mean? Or or like Silly. mental or mm-hmm. that, crazy yeah, crazy crazy yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and i've actually with that same family member mm-hmm. i this is a very close family member of mine who's been present in my life my whole life and um at any time i would ask i don't even think i asked very much but if i would ask like what's wrong with her my mom would always say like She's Opagalea, And I just found out this summer that she has schizophrenia and depression. And I've known her my whole life. I'm 25. And I didn't know that she has schizophrenia and depression. Mm-hmm. It was just always she's Bagal. So the article found that it refer- the uh, South Asians refer to mentally ill people, people with weak mental health as being abnormal and people with good mental health as being normal. Do you find that as well for sure and then to kind of um just add on that as well when somebody is you know crazy or boggle you want to hide them mm-hmm. you don't want them to be seen as much or yeah. you want them to hide what it is that they're going through right. right and so yeah that does happen in our community um in a general sense right and so like yeah. as in all communities there's some groups that are incredibly um open to the idea of mental health and right. they're very open to if somebody is going through something how can we help you through yeah but there is also that component of no you're you're crazy there's something wrong with you and you need to hide or you need to hide what it is that you're going through yeah, yeah. just going based on that i can relate to that so much because with the same family member she goes back and forth between houses and uh she stays with one brother and then the other brother and like with one of the families that she stays with they kind of like keep her in the basement and like when people come over they'll be like chal ja, like go downstairs mm-hmm. and they don't really want her to be seen which is such a sad life it's for so somebody sad. to live yeah yeah it's really sad yeah and that's kind of where knowledge becomes so important right and i yeah. love the fact that you guys are doing this podcast because i think you guys are building the knowledge base of what I mental so, health yeah. is right and yeah. so um we there's somebody that i know very well and maybe 
three, four years ago, he actually had a psychotic break and he was also diagnosed with schizophrenia. And my family members did not know how to handle it. And they were kind of, you know, same thing, like, like he's off, like he's off the hook right now. Like he's crazy. There's something wrong with him. And through knowledge and through they would come to me and they'd be like sam like what does this mean right like why like he was having like very violent episodes where he was like tearing up furniture with knives and he was like like screaming at people so his was like kind of a violent Mm -hmm. onset of schizophrenia um but just to explain to them you know this is what's happening or this is what potentially was the onset of it a lot of stress if we're talking about schizophrenia right Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's stress that onsets that psychotic break that usually happens to people when they're in their 20s Mm mid-20s and so there's kind of like so we don't know exactly what the cause of schizophrenia is but we know that there's patterns that we find and through knowledge my family was able to be like okay that's what he's going through how can we help them right and so knowledge is so important of course yeah Yeah, that's another thing is like figuring out uh, ways to provide our listeners as well as everybody else is just how where can we go for those resources about gaining more knowledge about mental health Mm -hmm. Um, uh, off the top of the head like do you know any uh, resources that you would recommend people learning more but just or just random like, yeah google searches and just google yeah, yeah, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> right. no but also if you can if you know people who are therapists or who are psychologists or who have some sort of specific knowledge in that area right. reach out to them right even mm-hmm. if it's not a personal thing even if it's somebody that you're concerned about just kind of like what does this mean or this is something that i'm noticing like right. what what are these patterns and just to take it upon ourselves to learn more about what's happening and i think that's easier for some generations to do than others and so we have to take that 100%. into account as well and i think like that's another thing like for example even at gorduare because there are public centers like it'd be amazing if we could just provide that type of knowledge at those community centers right? for sure so. for sure yeah and i think there are some um organizations that are really starting to yeah. do that outreach that i'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head so there's one called soch yeah. i follow them on they're instagram they're doing so good they're doing very well yes. yeah and so they're doing a really good job of kind of bringing in the community yeah. um and they're just like other different organizations about you know the stigma of mental health yeah, that's amazing. yeah. Basics of Sikhi is really trying to mm-hmm. get their resources into Gordwade and they're really big on even like with um, marriages happening in Gordwade with the Anand Karaj, like if you get married in a church, the mm-hmm. who's the guy who marries you? The priest. The priest. No, not the priest. Pastor. Pastor. Yeah. <laughs> is that the same thing? Pastor or priest? Okay. Um, they, they make you go through premarital counseling yeah. and that would teach you so many things about why you're getting married. What, are, what does the Lama mean and how to deal with it? Uh, like how to deal with like married life mm-hmm. and the basics of Sikhi is working on getting those resources and that's going about it, so that's yeah. really good yeah. yeah yeah that's yeah that marriage and mental health is like a completely different topic right yeah, like that's, yeah. that's actually your next topic so um, okay. <laughs> another fear that people actually express is that when when they're talking about their mental health um that their marriage prospects actually can be damaged um, or, or anything along those lines. And so we know that some of the participants within the study, they mentioned that their prospects could have been damaged. Do you feel that you've seen that within our culture and uh, mm-hmm. what are the conversations that are happening related to that? Yeah, so that goes back to hiding, right? right. That goes back to, you know, you know, people know that you have this, whatever this is, they're not going to want to marry you. And so pretend you don't have it or you don't have it. What I actually see happen a lot is um, family members are completely aware that they're, you know, whoever the person is that they want to get married has some sort of mental illness, but they push for them to get married with the idea, oh, if they get married, they'll have more responsibilities and they'll mature. And if they mature, then they're not going to be so whatever depressed right. or anxious or substance abuse is right. really big with that as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a theme that I see a lot. And so then it's kind of knowledge about, 
you know, like, well, what's the impact that this is going to have on their spouse? And, right. you know, that's not going to fix anything. 100%. If anything, it's just going to add more pressure. Yeah. Exactly. Marriage magnifies all of your problems. Yeah. So what I see happen a lot in our community is that the idea of it's okay. You know, let's just get you married. If you're married, you're going to be more mature. If you're more mature, you'll get over whatever this is that you have. Right. Which we know that doesn't happen. Yeah. 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 We were talking about um, with our generation, because we were trying to understand this this idea of like why why somebody having a mental illness would uh, ruin their chances of getting married and our generation I find is uh, like with just my personal experiences with a few friends they're less likely to have that stigma towards their partner like if they know that their partner has had depression or they deal with anxiety well they say well that's not a reason to not marry them I'm still gonna Mm -hmm. marry them Mm -hmm. whereas our family might be like Oh no! Who knows what they've been through? Like, uh, mm-hmm. like right? Like, you can't get married to that person yeah. because they've they've been depressed or they have anxiety. So there's a stigma right there, yeah, and yeah. the difference in generations. Yeah, and there's a fear. Right? Yeah, yeah, which is also unfair. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Percent. You were gonna say something? No. No. no okay. <laughs> um, the article also discussed the misunderstandings, and as we were reading them, we were like, wait, are these misunderstandings or are they correct? Uh, because there is some truth, like there's a lot of truth to what our parents say and they have reasons for saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like some of them we discussed before that a doctor can't help you if you have a mental illness, that... Um, these are myths or misinterpretations? Uh, these, these, these are, are myths. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, these we'll are, get to the ones that we feel that are some of them, somewhat. Yeah, some of them we were iffy about, but these ones, yeah, 100%. Like a doctor can help you if you have a mental health problem. They also like, some people believe that... Um, mental health problem is a medical condition that can't be managed it can't be treated it's never going to go away so these are like these are myths yeah these would be good to educate the older generation is that if you've had clinical depression once it doesn't mean you're going to have it forever like Mm -hmm. you you do recover with the correct treatment and management um but some of the ones what what were they like black magic jadu yeah um but like (laughs) for example for us um when it was like will of god karma and punishment Mm -hmm. um it might not necessarily be framed that way, like punishment, but like karma, we believe in karma, a huge deal in terms of Sikhi, right? And so it might potentially be that. Um, and so that kind of frame of mind, um, we kind of had, we're like, well, we don't, we're trying to understand Sikhi ourselves. And mm-hmm. so getting to that point, it's like, maybe it is, right? And mm-hmm. so in that in that uh, respect, we felt like those aren't really myths in certain ways. But like, for example, when we mentioned the mental health of um, being treated by a doctor, we believe those... Yeah myths right yeah so that's, that's kind yeah. of hard like if your parents say to you like oh, these, uh, these are just your gutum like they you've uh, you're dealing with depression because it's your gutum like how, how would somebody react to that like, right mm-hmm. but it yeah. is the truth the truth is that you are dealing with this anxiety and depression because of your gutum but that doesn't mean you have to just kind of exactly like be destroyed by it yeah and that's something that you can't really have a complete answer on either, yeah right? exactly so, yeah yeah it's such a big topic yeah. but some of the other ones were like genetic it said that genetic was a misunderstanding but is genetics a misunderstanding like, no there's a huge connection between almost all disorders and a genetic component to okay. it and so we know if there is a biological family member who has you know whatever the disorder is um depending on what it is the chances of somebody else in their family having it are also okay yeah. are also increased so we yeah. know for sure that there's a genetic component yeah. yeah and one thing i will add to one of the myths though is um the idea that the mental illness will never go away um, so a lot of times 
it doesn't go away. And so it right. goes into remission, kind of like other diseases. It can go into remission, but okay. it's something that you always kind of have to be a little bit um, aware of, right? Because okay. different circumstances, different stressors, different you know physiological reasons, um, it can always come back. So clinical depression, when we diagnose it, it can be a single episode, meaning it's just happened once. A lot of times it's a recurrent episode, which means it happened maybe few months ago maybe a few years ago maybe right. a decade ago but then it's happening again and so it's a recurrent episode um, we know that with anxiety we know that with other disorders as well and so a lot of times it's about management of it right schizophrenia it's about managing your disorder and so not necessarily going away right um, so it's not like cure but you always have to understand that um it could be there and you have to take the steps that you've already t- taken to get away and get it into remission absolutely and keep that valid within your life mm-hmm. or like constant and to life, be right? able to recognize the signs right the right. signs that okay i'm starting to feel a little bit off again or you know something's not feeling how it was before and be able to kind of if you can because yeah. a lot of times you can't get to that mm-hmm. right yeah. but if you can um so once again talking about the blues talking about right. not necessarily clinical depression but the blues kind of like you know i'm sleeping a little bit more than i used to or i'm right. i'm eating when i shouldn't really be eating or right. like just noticing little changes in your behavior and kind of picking up on them yeah no I, that reminded me of um just in general of um lifestyle mm-hmm. uh, even when people work out they say you, you shouldn't just work out for 30 days or like six months and get that body that you wanted to get and then then just quit yeah right it's more of like okay now i'm changing my lifestyle into this and right. i have to constantly uh add these uh kind of habits into my life so that i never go into that state mm-hmm. or, or attempt not to go into yeah. that state right yeah so. if you can control it yeah that's right, <laughs> right. so um punjabi sex has a, a, a community that focuses a lot on pride reputation uh and keeping things within the family as you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. um and can you talk a little bit about how that might affect the stigma around mental health uh in more detail i know we talked a little bit about it before but um how does that really affect the mental stigma around uh, the idea of the reputation yeah Yeah. reputation pride um and as you mentioned earlier keeping things within the family yeah so we we know kind of in our community that one family member kind of represents everybody right so when we're talking about Mm -hmm. reputation um so you know the parents who for some reason or other their kid maybe didn't want to go to university or their kid didn't become a you know a lawyer or an engineer or whatever it is that they wanted them to do they take that as a personal failure right Right. what did we do wrong and kind of you know our kids should have done this and so kind of the same with mental health right our kids depressed or our kids anxious or there's something going on and they feel like that affects their reputation as a family which that's not the case at all right and even when it comes to pride um i feel like pride in a lot of ways can hinder a person's progress in therapy and so what i mean by that is i work a lot with the motor vehicle accidents like i was saying and so a lot of times these clients are mandated to come see us um and so living in brampton we know that there's a lot of accidents that happen in brampton um so i've worked with a huge amount of punjabi um of our community and i find that when pride gets in the way so the people who aren't willing to get the help or who aren't willing to kind of you know really talk about what they're going through their therapy stops in terms of they'll come to sessions but there's no progress right Right. because Mm -hmm. they're not willing to kind of let go of that pride let go of that I don't, even, I don't know if ego is the right word, but to let go and be open about, you know, I'm suffering and mm-hmm. I'm having a hard time. They have a hard time opening up to that. Right. Um, so that's where pride can really hinder, um, 
your therapy you have to be willing to be vulnerable right. and that's why it's so hard yeah, yeah and that's yeah. why it's so scary right because you're literally sitting with somebody that in the beginning you don't know at all right. and you're just opening up your wound and you're saying you know here's what's wrong with me um and if you aren't able to do that and pride comes into that it can really hinder mm-hmm. so i find that with our community especially the subset that i'm talking about would be um uncles so yeah. they would come and they would be incredibly closed off right um and i think they would see me and they'd be like oh hey, you know hey, but gee, uh, yeah, like, yeah. what does she what know kind of thing you. right yeah um but then the auntie would come and see me and they would be completely open and they would make so much progress and so it's very so, interesting to see how that works yeah, that's... I, I, I wasn't picturing that. I was picturing the opposite. I was Where picturing... Were you? Not that the men would open up, but I, I didn't see the women opening up, I guess because maybe the women I've been surrounded by in my life have always been like, had have had to be very, very strong. Yeah. And so they, they kind of like are like, I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's fine. We have yeah. to just keep going. Like, yeah. I think women in general are like that, where we have to keep going no matter what. So if I can talk like really briefly about the trajectory that I see in my therapy, yeah, so yeah. that they come for this accident, right? And so they're in pain, you know, a lot of times physically, like their back hurts, their arm hurts, something happened. Um, they're off of work, and so that kind of makes them feel a little bit down that they're not working. And so they'll come with that very, you know, they're kind of like, yeah, I'll go because, you know, I'm being asked to go. And so they'll come see me. So I'm talking right. specifically about the auntie community. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> And once they start talking to me, I tell them, you know, it's not just about the accident. When we're talking, we're talking about your life and your life is more than the accident. And I'll start asking questions just about their life and slowly they'll start talking slowly. Mm -hmm. So it's true when they come, they also kind of have that front, you know, like I'm good, I'm good, you know, like whatever, we'll keep moving. But slowly they start talking and then a lot of times the floodgates just open and Mm -hmm. they're, um, and by them, I mean kind of that generational, um, age group you know i'm talking about like maybe like the 50s to 60s right um that age group of um south asian woman i find that they've suffered so much yeah and mm-hmm. there's a lot in of, silence yeah, yeah in silence exactly i was gonna say there's a lot of hidden depression yeah and so um that's been one of the most rewarding things about the work that i do is that it's not just about the accident the right. accident happened right but what else happened in their life that makes them feel how they do and then they yeah I find that they're the, they're the group with me who are able to let go of that pride and to open up and they made great progress too. Yeah. So, yeah. And maybe that does have something to do with that women tend to be less, have less ego than men. Yeah. I think men have more Fair pride point. and ego mm-hmm. and women are okay with being vulnerable. It's just those particular women have never given, been given the chance to be vulnerable. They it's never a, could. Yeah. A lot and of them are dealing with so much, like uh, like domestic violence in our community. Is for something. sure, for yeah. sure. And who's not to say, you know, if the if the men were talking to a male therapist, maybe their experience would be right. a lot different, right? Yeah. And so we talk about transference, counter-transference in our therapy. So once again, it's a it's a relationship that yeah, we yeah, have, yeah. right? And so you're, you as a client are transferring your beliefs onto me. And based on those beliefs, I'm kind of transferring beliefs back on you right? right and so a lot of times i'm sure they sit in front of me and they like see their daughter or they see their niece or they see yeah. somebody else and they're kind of like ah. yeah <laughs> you should know, i really I, be taking advice yeah. or yeah from in, my daughter from yeah. Yeah. exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. so that's actually an interesting point so do you feel that um first of all have you have you had progress uh, um with certain uncles like what certain methodologies that you feel that have worked um, yeah. for them to open up 
So some of them. Okay. So some of them. That's yeah, cool. I think it uh, it depends, right? And, and I'm not saying every auntie who's come in has like completely opened up and like right. made huge right, progress, right? right? Yeah. yeah. It yeah, just yeah. kind of varies. It also depends on how much help that they want as well at the time. Okay. And so there's so many different factors. Um, but a lot of it is just talking to them, right? And so, you know, I'm not going to give them handouts and ask them to do homework because a lot of them just kind of would scoff yep. at that, right? And yep. that's okay. You just have to read the situation right. and work with it. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I feel like as you were saying this, uh, I was just thinking about how um sometimes when someone goes into therapy like for example you, we mentioned pride that's a mental barrier that they've kind of mm-hmm. added because mm-hmm. they're like no i don't need this right and so even before trying it they just add it and i feel like we, a lot of us do that in general in life, did yeah. it in life right but yeah. yeah so you're kind of already setting yourself up for not potentially succeeding in therapy right exactly yeah exactly. you have to go in very open-minded yeah and i think that's that's key yeah we were talking about um keeping things within the family. I wanted to go into a little bit about that. Like, mm-hmm. um, I, I feel like our parents are very willing to listen. I, I can only speak on my own parents, but yeah. they're very willing to listen. They yeah. want to know if something's wrong, but they, they, they almost create a stigma by doing like, by their responses. Like if you share something with them, they want to help them. Like, I'm here for you. I want to do whatever I can. I want to protect you, but just make sure nobody else finds out. Make sure you keep it in the house, right? Mm-hmm. A, a child and teenager somebody in their 20s like anybody would be like okay my parents they're really wanting to help me that makes them feel good but oh they don't want somebody else to find out so that makes the child feel ashamed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like in that way like there's there's a stigma there too with um keeping things within the family our, our communities like that a lot right? for sure yeah and by asking us to keep things within the family we're also asking us to keep things within ourselves right because we're mm-hmm. saying that this isn't something you can talk to other people about mm-hmm. and so a lot of times if i can't talk to other people about it then if i'm going to talk to you about it and you're not going to help me i'm just going to keep it to myself yeah and that's the concern right is we don't want this pressure building 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 internally especially in young children and adolescents who are still learning right. you know how to regulate their emotions they're still learning how to be who they are and so we don't want this pressure just building 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 and then for it to literally just blow Burst, right, right? that's kind of always the fear and so that's where you want to tell parents that you know it's okay for them to seek help if they need help get them help right mm-hmm. and maybe you're involved in the process maybe you're not involved in the process but get them help so they have a way to they have an outlet to release what they're going through right. yeah yeah. And just on the other side of it, like well, how you can educate the parents, but also educating our generation of like teenagers and young adults. Um, I have a friend who's uh, dealing with some stuff right now and she's, I feel like our generation, we receive love in a completely different way than our parents did. Like if if your parents, like like for my parents, they're like, our parents are like, and like, you know, like, and they, they saw that as love. Mm-hmm. Whereas us like sitting down, talking, hugging, affection is seen as love. Yeah. And I, I was just talking to this friend last night and I was telling her, you have to understand, because I was like, you have to understand that your parents love you. She said, no, they don't. And I said, like I was trying to tell her about love languages, yeah. the Gary Chapman's book about love languages. And I was like, your parents, they don't understand your love language, but it's your responsibility to kind of forgive them for that mm-hmm. because they don't know how to love you in the way that you need love. They don't know how to sit with you and talk to you. They've mm-hmm. never had that before. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we were talking before uh, about, uh, our parents have taught us about mental health in some ways. like. Um, like when they tell us Sakia, yes. when they tell us stories yes. of Shahid Singhs, mm-hmm. they tell us like, look, 
look at your family you come from warriors and they tell you like you like you can make it through anything because our community our sick Mm-hmm. Bunt has made it through so much. So in that way, like they're indirectly teaching you about mental mm-hmm. health, but they don't even know that they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think depending on how a person's feeling, that can kind of go both ways, right? Mm-hmm. And so for some people, it's a strength, kind of like yes, that this is my heritage, right? This is where I come right. from. Yeah. This is who I am. But for other people who are suffering, it's kind of like, oh, I should be like that. I should be that strong. I should be a warrior, but I can't be, or I'm not. And what does that mean about me, right? And so it's about kind of reading that situation as well yeah and how do you respond to that though like if if someone so that brings up a good point like let's say i'm talking to someone who who is in that state and and i'm telling them these haki and and uh about our shaheed sings and our heritage Mm -hmm. but i feel that they're not really connecting to that what's the reverse what would i go and talk to them about at that point Honestly, and like, I know this is kind of like the cliche psychology question, but how does that make you feel? Right. Right. So if somebody's saying like, you know, like I I don't resonate with that, that doesn't, it doesn't make me feel good or it makes me feel, you know, even more down on myself, kind of, you know, tell me more, like, tell me how that makes you feel. So instead of kind of guiding them in one way, let them kind of guide you where they need to go. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's fair. That actually, yeah, just more into that. So sometimes people say, um, that Sikhi is enough to deter away from mental health problems. There's no need for Western methods of coping with stress. Uh, psychological well-being is a choice you make. Um, what do you think about that? I think if it's a choice, nobody would make that choice, oh. right? <laughs> um, no, but I think that... <laughs> yeah, that's a very fair point. <laughs> um, I think that Sikhi for some people has a very um, important part when it comes to mental wellness. And so um, for some people, they need that connection, right? And they need to be, uh, they need to go to Godwara more. They need to be doing Ardas and they need to be mm-hmm. doing Bhat and connecting with kind of whatever their spiritual self is. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some people, that's not enough, right? Mm-hmm. And so this kind of goes back to mental illness versus mental wellness. And so for mental wellness, when you're kind of maybe not at your optimal, but you're not clinically in a position right. um, of a diagnosis, maybe something like, you know, it's enough to, you know, reconnect with your Sikhi and to go to Godwara and to be in Sangat. Right. But for a lot of times when it's a little bit more severe than that, you need a little bit more than, um, so I'm not saying Sikhi it's it's not enough right um but a lot of times it's not enough and that's kind of where medication and therapy kind of come in and through therapy maybe you can find a way to reconnect with sikhi as tools yeah yeah, because like guru said created these medications Mm -hmm. guru said created this therapy so they're tools that are in front of you to use exactly and kind of like how you were talking about before right in girbani we're talking about self-love in girbani we talk about all of that right we talk about controlling your mind or working with your mind um mindfulness it's it's breathing right Mm -hmm. it's being Mm -hmm. connected with your breath Mm -hmm. Um, so for clients that I have who I know that they have a connection with Sikhi, when we do our breathing, we do it with Simran, right? Wow. So what does it mean when you breathe? When you breathe in, Fahe, and when you breathe out, Guru, right? So that's how you do your breathing. For other people, I don't want to push anything on them. And 100%. so then it's just about breathing. Right. You know, breathe in, breathe out, but the foundation of it is all the same. The same. Right? Is so that a question you ask people, like, about their, like, um, I'm curious about, like, uh-huh. the Punjabi community. Do you ask them about their religious beliefs, about their faith? And- Sometimes, but a lot of times that comes up in conversations okay um so a lot of times you know people will say you know um when i wake up in the morning i'll put bot on and it makes me feel so good Mm -hmm. you know it makes me feel calm it makes me feel like i have a good start to my day and for them you know okay you know we can kind of go a little bit more of the sikhi route and for some people you know that that doesn't happen like that um and so you don't want to push anything especially being um a gay skiwali 
psychologist. I don't want other people to think that I'm judging them right. so when it comes to things like alcoholism or um, right. anything that they're going through, right? And sometimes I feel like that happens as well, where it's kind of like, oh, you're an Amardari and I drink and there's a sense of shame that comes yeah. with that. So it becomes very important for me to kind of keep it very neutral yeah. until I can read the situation or until they explicitly tell me what the situation is. I was, that's one of the beautiful things about our community I find with my family, people who drink in my family they, even though they do those things they have so much respect mm-hmm. for the geiski mm-hmm. like, or like the star like when they, like if I go to like a family get together they won't drink in front of me they won't drink in front of my dad they have like respect in that Definitely. sense it's yeah, really yeah. beautiful yeah. for sure for sure but when it comes to a therapeutic relationship that kind of is where a little bit of that pride can come into right, right. and so because of that respect or for some people maybe it's feeling a little shameful mm-hmm. they don't open up right mm-hmm. and so that whole huge aspect of their life never gets talked about and so when we're talking about progress how can we make progress when there's this huge thing that's not being talked about so yeah yeah and alcoholism is a big thing mm-hmm. i want to go into that with one of our podcasts in the future hopefully yeah. in the punjabi community alcoholism yeah yeah, yeah. and then that completely changes family dynamics yeah. and expectations and yeah. all of that right yeah. it was yeah. uh, as you mentioned that i just uh, had a thought about um, one of my uh, mamadis as i was going to school he was talking about um how the first year is extremely sc- uh, stressful he went into the same program as me and he was just talking about he's like yeah but you'll be fine because you're in tiki mm-hmm. and i was like I was so taken aback by yeah. that. I was just because they didn't at first. They didn't even register, and then yeah. eventually I was like, "Oh, like, well, what does that mean, right? Like, mm-hmm. why do you think like, even though, yeah, sure, I may have those tools, um, but it was interesting how he just thought that it, automatically yeah. it's a check and you're good, right? Yeah, and it, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. And once again, for some people, that could be a strength, right? Like, yeah, you know, like this is me, this is my identity. Exactly. You know, this is it's a strength. But for other people who might be suffering in silence, a comment like that could very exactly. could be very upsetting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a little bit of a tangent, but like we always say to people, taking Amrit is the first step. Mm-hmm. And after that, you kind of grow from it, right? Whereas I think I've come across people who feel like Amrit is the last step. So I need to do this, 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 and this. I have to get my all my stuff together before I can take Amrit. And mm-hmm. I had a patient recently who was opening up to me about issues that she was facing with in-laws. And in a way to relate to her, sometimes I feel like as a massage therapist, you do have to be like a little bit of a counselor. Like you do have to talk and listen. Yeah. And so I was trying to relate to her and acknowledge and validate what she was feeling and I like have empathy and tell her like you know I've dealt with that kind of stuff too and her response to me really like I was so taken aback she was like oh you're Amritari and you deal with this too like then what is the purpose of even taking Amrit and I was like so taken aback she said it in a very nice way it was very like she didn't mean anything by it but I was like like people think that when you take Amrit that your life is all of a sudden perfect and you don't deal with the problems that everybody deals with for sure for sure and that kind of goes back to one of your initial questions about that roller coaster of you know your identity as a sick yeah and so sometimes you feel very strong and sometimes you might not feel as strong right um but everyone thinks you're strong and so what does that mean yeah i wanted to ask you about your your personal self-care like as a psychologist it must take Mm -hmm. a toll on you sometimes or does it take a toll on you and how do you deal with it so It can, but that's where education and training become so important. Um, So I think one of the biggest things for self-care as a therapist of any sort is to know your limitations, right? And so I'm not, unfortunately, going to be able to help every single client that comes into my office. And I have to be aware of that limitation. And then I also have to be aware that, you know, I have my 60-minute sessions or 50-minute sessions, 10 minutes for notes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And in those 50 minutes, I'm I'm, I'm present, I'm with them, I'm following them. 
um, you know, we're, we're having our session, I'm processing with them. After, I'll think a little bit about the session as well, but then I have to let it go. And so when I go home, I can't take my work with me, right? And I think that's the biggest part of self-care is to be able to have that separation. And that comes through learning, that comes through education, that comes through experience. And so um, biggest part of self-care, I think, is understanding my limitations and my boundaries. Um, so, you know, clients don't have my phone number. They don't right. have any, like, way to access me outside of clinical hours. Mm-hmm. That's important. Um Spending time with family is important. And, you know, engaging in my hobbies is important. Going to go daughter being in sangha is important. Um, you know, listening to Kirtan is important. Going for walks. Just taking care of yourself. And once again, that goes with a separation. And sometimes that's harder to do. We have a term in psychology called vicarious trauma. Mm. So it's the idea that, you know, we're feeling the trauma. We're feeling the pain of another patient, of our clients. Um, and sometimes that can be really heavy. And, you know, there's maybe been... Off the top of my head, I can think of one instance with um, a client that it hit me hard. Like I was kind of off my feet for two days. It was Mm. like very intense, Um, but luckily I was still in training. And so I was able to go to supervisors. I was able to work through that. Um, And so you have to, anybody. So this isn't even just with therapists. This can be with a friend or a family member who is helping somebody in need, Right. right? You have to see how you're feeling and so if it's becoming too heavy for you maybe you need to take a step back or maybe you need to engage in a little bit of self-care or you need to be aware of that transference of trauma that can happen sometimes debrief with somebody else exactly exactly that actually brings a really good point um so let's say uh even for some of our listeners for myself for sure Mm -hmm. um if you're talking to someone who's going through something and you feel that it's affecting you um by taking that step backwards do you make them feel that you're avoiding them now or how do you handle that kind of dynamic? So that's a tricky one, right? Yeah. Because you don't want somebody to feel like they're being exactly. um, isolated or that exactly. they're, but you also knew, so if you're kind of running on empty at this point and they keep coming to you with more and more stuff, you're not helpful, right? Yeah. And so maybe that's the point where it's kind of like, you know, I think maybe you need somebody else to talk to about this or I want to help you and I'm here for you and I'm a support for you, but I feel like there's only so much I can do. And this is maybe where, you know, now you need to do the next step, which is to go to a professional and, and yeah. get the help that way. Perfect. And yeah. so, you know, you still want to be there for your friends and your family members. You want to be empathetic. You want to be compassionate. Um, but you just kind of also want to be aware of how you are feeling and if it's becoming a burden on you because right. we don't want, you know, yeah. people to be taking on that burden. Yeah, because yeah. you need to take care of yourself exactly. before you can take Helps care of others. Well. Exactly. Yeah. Where do you see yourself in a few years, like, as a psychologist? Um, so right now, so I am, I'm on mat leave right now, so I have a year off. Um, so my, like, my wheels are kind of turning. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I'm actually, you know, there's some programs that I'm kind of thinking of making a little bit. So I know we haven't really touched on this at all, but um, postpartum depression is huge. Um, I think even fertility issues can be really big. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just had a baby three months ago. So this is all kind of really fresh on my mind. Right. Um, but there's so much that happens. Um, in terms of hormonal changes and just lifestyle changes. And for a lot of people, you know, postpartum depression is very real. Or even just the baby blues, right? Once again, it doesn't have to be clinical, but just the baby blues or right. postpartum, uh, postpartum anxiety, which doesn't get talked about that much. And so my goal is, you know, kind of in the next few years to hopefully develop a program that can kind of um, address that a little bit. And especially, once again, going to the South Asian community, because I think at that point, um, you know, there's so much pressure to kind of, you know, you got to take care of yeah. the baby, you got to take care of your family, you got to take care of in-laws, you got to take care of the house, like just for different situations, Definitely, right? Yeah. Um, and so just kind of addressing that, because I think that can be a lot of pressure for, for people. Sure. 
yeah so that's one thing and just i don't know continuing my practices <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah more kids <laughs> maybe yeah maybe. yeah i think so i think so that's awesome um, there's so much that you know that you can pass on to your children yeah it would be so useful i can't imagine like having a psychologist as a parent how much, <laughs> how much you would learn yeah i just read kids i'd hate it <laughs> yeah at the beginning years they're like all right mom we get it <laughs> yeah. and you're like they're like oh mom i didn't eat my lunch how does that make <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly yeah i can be super careful though because sometimes when i like ask that question to people and it's just it's a natural question oh, kind of like how does it make you feel it's kind of like why are you saying that yeah. right now like, i'm not i'm just asking how you feel yeah, that's <laughs> yeah um so okay we're we're coming to a close to the to the podcast so before we end off we usually ask a rapid five questions okay and so they're very quick and just off the top of your head um so are you ready yeah let's do this okay awesome so what is your favorite book my favorite series is the Harry Potter series. Harry Potter. I can read it again. And Mine again. too. Yeah. All of ours. I've yeah. read that book like twice. Each yeah. book. Yeah. It's my happy place. Okay. <laughs> um, what is your favorite quote or Bonnie Bhakti? Um, so Bonnie Bhakti would be Ram Gusenya Jika Jivana Moina Basado Majantera. So I love that line. Um, and favorite quote would be the Maya Angelou quote. Um, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but it's people will forget what you said to them. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. feel. Um, so I think that's kind of that, you know, be kind. 100%, yeah. Uh, what is one of your weird quirks? Um, I don't know. That, that's an interesting... Um, I don't know. That one kind of has me a little bit stumped. If you ask my husband, he'll probably say <laughs> is that I ask this, everything. This, this, <laughs> yeah. this, this, this. It's probably that I phrase everything as a question. Um, okay. I say that's being married to a psychologist yeah. <laughs> personally. Um, I don't know. When I want something sweet, I usually like, like yeah. if I do that, it's kind of like, a, okay, I think I need something with tart. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, if you could meet anyone in history, who would it be? Um... Probably my Nanaji. I've never met him, so he passed away before I was born. Mm-hmm. If I could spend time again with somebody from history, um, Gany Narsingji. He passed away many years ago, um, but he was an amazing Gursik, and to be in his presence was was quite yeah. special. So I think now being older, I would love to have spent more time with him. Yeah. yeah. What's your biggest pet peeve? People who chew loudly in movie theaters. <laughs> yeah. I agree. just kind of that crunching yeah. sound or i know people can't control how they breathe but people who just like breathe really, really loudly, loudly that yeah. just kind of like Ugh. or one that gets me is just chewing anywhere right like when people yeah. just chew loudly with their mouth open yeah and you hear that you hear that sound everything. and yeah. that, that i cringe on that one. really yeah yeah oh my god that's never bothered me yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many different pet peeves yeah um anyways uh, to conclude the podcast benji thank you so much for joining us Thank and you so yeah, much. No yeah we learned so much and just i just wanted to tell you you have such a good demeanor like oh. you have i feel like you you are an excellent i've never seen you do your practice but <laughs> yeah. i feel like you would be an excellent psychologist just oh. very good like conversationalist and oh, thank listening you. skills like they're so good yeah yeah um could is there I anything end- else sorry yeah i was gonna say could i end it off kind yeah, of with I was one gonna thing say, yeah. um therapy is not scary 
Mm-hmm. And so I think that's very important to kind of get out there because when we think about therapy, we think about being open, we think about being vulnerable. And it can be scary because we're asking people to be open and vulnerable. But with the right person, therapy can be life changing, literally life changing. And so, um, you know, if you need the help or if you know you're suffering or um, you're kind of in silence right now and you kind of just need that extra, you know, push yeah. um, just to know that, you know, we're trained in this. We're doing this job because we love it. Um, and we want to help people. That's why we're in this profession. And I think I can speak on behalf of almost all therapists when I say that. And so reach out for help because that could literally change your life. It's beautiful. I think that that's a perfect end. Yeah. Um, thank you so much uh, for sharing everything, being open. Um, we really appreciate it. Thank no you so problem. much. No problem. All right. Bye, Gucci. Bye, You've been listening to the Experience Siki podcast. 